לשידור ישיר ממחנה רמה בברקשיירס. praying for their release and praying for their well-being, knowing that every single day that goes by is another day of torture and terror for them, praying for Klal Yisrael, for Am Yisrael, for Medinat Yisrael, uh, that we experience better days in Besorot Tovot ahead of us, and, um, and that the study of Torah, which we are engaged in on a weekly basis through the study of the Parsha, will bring us a measure of comfort and anchor our lives the way that um, that we hope it does for everybody who's been watching and listening. And this week is Parshat Mishpatim. Mishpatim is uh, a Parsha that comes, you know, obviously right after the Aserata Dibrot, the Parshat Yitro, which is the Ten Commandments. It's a that scene that, you know, almost can't get it out of our imagination. We were standing at Sinai just a week ago. Last week, we were standing at Sinai listening and terrified, terrified by the the volcanic eruption of Sinai and um, the, the, the need to kind of step back from Sinai. Um, and now we are, uh, we're getting mishpatim. We're getting a whole set of laws. Uh, here are the laws that you shall place before them. And and what we have several chapters of law. So immediately I want to explore the feeling that we get uh in in this this these words now. We're listening. I, I want to be, I want to transport myself to Sinai and imagine listening to this. Imagine that I've just experienced, you know, the, the Ten Commandments and all the, you know, the um, tremendous phenomena around it. And now we have rules, a whole set of rules, lots and lots of rules. It's a change of mode. It's like, a, it, it's like, a new movement in the symphony. And I'm wondering if the, either of you have a relationship to this in that way, that you you feel that you've the car has moved into the clock, like moved into second gear or third gear, and that we're now in a different um, genre, certainly different movement, and we're now experiencing Torah in a different way. And what what is the meaning of that? experience and and 
uh, take it anywhere you want to go, even if you want to, you know, if you want to start with uh, the first Rashi on on this. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm puzzled by how things shift here, and whether you could talk to that or not. So what I would say is your puzzlement is genuine, already sensed by the rabbis, but eventually they dismiss it because it's not real. So Rashi's comment is, Every place where the Torah says, Ela something, these, it means whatever came before is invalidated. But which we have in our Parsha, and these adds to what came before. And this is a critical piece. Just as the first things are from Sinai, so too is this. And it leads us to reconsider that short first first verse which you read, Elliot, because the Mishpatim are going to be delivered by Moshe. There's some kind of confusion in the Torah, depending on how we understand the last verse of chapter 19, as to who actually says the Ten Commandments. One can make the argument that it's God, because it begins on Ochi, or that it's actually Moshe who came down the mountain to relate what God told him. But here the key is that Moshe is giving the Mishpatim. And we, standing in for all of B'nai Israel, have to recognize that Torah comes not just from God himself, but also through Moshe. And that is of critical importance because we could think we're so caught up last week in the revelation at Mount Sinai that we forget about the details that are necessary to make the Sinai experience live again and again and again throughout our lives. Quite beautiful, quite beautiful. Um, because we we know that obviously this is a religion that... Uh, values, you know, the human study and the human exposition. So I, that I really resonates with me what you just said. To me, the um, I do think it is an abrupt change. We have had a couple of mitzvot before, you know, we had the mitzvot of Pesach and 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 a couple of mitzvot, uh, I mean, aside from the Ten, ten Commandments, but there's a couple of ritual mitzvot in, in B'Shalach and, uh, and the end of um, Yitro. But to me, the the abrupt shift here, very, very, very central to Judaism, is that this is going to be a religion where civil law, business law, interpersonal law, interpersonal, you know, system of, of obligations that what we have towards one another, this is very, very central to this religion. Um, it's not like, okay, religion is really about worship, it's about mystery, it's about theological points. Um, you know, we've had this tremendous experience at Har Sinai, and the first thing we say is, okay, listen, here's the deal. Some of you are going to be really poor. Some of you are going to have to sell yourselves into slavery to pay your debts. Here are the limitations of that system. Here's how to make that system non-exploitative. Here's what's going to happen if you get in a fight, you know, somebody strikes somebody else, and how do you, how do you, uh, you know, uh, pay their, the five categories of damage that are, that are true of rabbinic torts, um, this is like this is a human scale religion about creating a society where people will treat each other appropriately, and that is of religious concern. So I'm I'm very curious uh, as we're talking about this, thinking, you know, what's the, again, what's the experience of the listener? What's the experience of listening to this? And and 
if if this is construed as a piece of oratory or a speech, okay, it would it would make for a very different kind of speech. After all, in in oratory, there are all sorts of conventions. There's poetry, and there's story, and there's uh, you know trying to create a point, trying to communicate a point. You think about all the great pieces of oratory that that we uh, might be familiar with, um, and and that we ourselves, of course, engage in from time to time, and and this has a certain effect on the audience, and. One possible effect is, what? What are you telling me? And another possible effect could be, this is interesting. This is interesting. We've just had this experience, uh, and now, and now he's putting me into an environment where there's a possibility for I might own a slave. There's a possibility that um, uh, we will engage in. We will be in a in a in a unit in a in a community where people will fight. Uh, and people will engage in, in also they will they will damage each other they will damage each other's property um they will damage each other's animals and so and so you know the 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 list of laws is being is unfolding here and i'm getting a picture of each law and and it's too much for me and i know that the rabbis will tell me well you got to go back and you got to study and then of course we have a whole library on each one of them but I'm wondering if 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 you have a reaction to this, you know, as literature, and if you have a reaction to this in terms of emotion, or uh, or what is the intended reaction response to to this? So all great questions. I think that I would like to see this as a song, that this is music, and you know at mount sinai at the revelation there is a sound of the shofar the accompaniment of the orchestra so to speak and we've had the main theme played out in the ten commandments and this is kind of the coda and so while i'm listening the details may be difficult to absorb but as i'm listening i'm thinking to myself there's nothing here that i can't do the only thing that would prevent me from doing any of these laws would be circumstance not impossibility. And therefore, I'm thinking that this all makes sense. I might not know all the details, but there's certainly enough here to go back and find out. But I can do this, and this is what's going to let me take Sinai into the land, because the mountain is not going to move. But I could take the event, both the revelation from last week and the list of laws this week, and travel with them and create a society where God will be present. I like the idea that you've mentioned of, of music. Um, I, I actually want to say it's it probably was literally music in the sense that music, a chant or melody uh, was a medium for a memorizing large bodies of text and transmitting these texts. You know, I don't I don't know what the emotion would have been. Of course, that that is lost to us, but. But um, historians of music will tell us that large bodies of uh, literature were set to music or set to chant or, or became part of culture, part of memory, because, uh, because of their musical, you know, they, they, they were sung. The law was sung. And of course, you know, you could say the fact that we have the Masoretic chant to it, that the the, the Torah chant that we all you know know and love on a weekly basis um that that 
I think lends another level of memorization to this and a level of interaction to it. Um, but but and you're saying that that there is a theme to this that emerges. I don't know, if Jeremy. You have a you know what what would what's your emotional response to it? What's your what's your what comes out at you? Well, first of all, the musical thing it reminds me of a verse in Psalm one nineteen. This is me wrote. Nice, nice. Your laws were songs to me in all of my wanderings, um, and it's and of course in Hebrew poetry and song is the same, right? So it it, it is poetic. Um, I I like what Barry said about the the fundamental doability, as, as Moshe will later tell the people at the end of his life. It's not up in heaven. You don't have to be superhuman to do this. This is, like I said a few minutes ago, this is human-scale religion. So I think my emotion, I mean, on one level, it's uh, it's a little daunting. Um, here's what happens when there's, you know, a fistfight. Here's what happens when, when somebody's going to steal something. Here's what happens, you know, there's other kinds of violations. And so... So it's like it moves from this, um, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments perhaps moves from this amazingly affirmative image of God and humanity meeting. And then, by the way, stuff's going to get real in a little while, and you're not always going to like it, but here's here's how you're going to have to respond to it. But um, it, uh, to me, it's, it's a, at least partly a affirmative, even though some of the circumstances described in, in the laws are themselves unhappy, um, to be God's covenantal partner in making that society, as, as Barry was saying, is like a big, gigantic vote of confidence. You are up to this. You are adequate to this. You are morally adequate to live in a society that knows how to handle poverty and wealth. You are morally adequate to, to live in a society that knows how to handle you know violence and injury that's just a gigantic vote of confidence. And the Deuteronomy will will say, you know, we'll look forward to a time when other nations will look at us and say, uh, you know, this is your this is your great what what culture has such wise laws? This This is it will cause other people to say, wow, Judaism is is wise and just and fair and i and of course there'll be individual rules that from the perspective of 2024 will surprise us or be jarring or disturb us that's fine um but to me the 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 emotional content of this covenant code is okay you ready you, you ready we're going to do this now um we're this is this is you know uh, addressed to you in your the adequacy of your of your uh, moral capabilities, so and they're they're communicating something about God here, uh, that may be in some specific commandments, but maybe in general. Because you know, I, I I was sharing with you before we started recording that that I, I you know preparing, I was listening to, I like listening to to a particular reader reading this in Hebrew, Omer Frankel on the nine two nine dot org website that 929 group which is wonderful wonderful way of studying a chapter of torah a day and it's a he's a wonderful uh reader and the experience of listening to the text as opposed to reading the text um affected me in a way that that i i had this experience of 
Well, I, I'm not able to. I'm not able to, you know, grasp every single word right now. And I might be at some point the kid in your classroom who's like raising his hand, raising his hand. But what do you mean by this? What do you mean by this? What do you mean by this? And now instead of having those specific experiences, I'm hearing there's God is there. There's something. There's something godly there, especially. And I'm going to give you an example. Turn to chapter 22, and we've talked about these texts before. 22. Turn to chapter 22, verse 20, okay? Chapter 22, the Dvarim, sorry, harming someone, damaging someone with words or with, you know, just by damaging them. You shall not abuse the stranger. Do not oppress him. So my law is telling me because you were slave, you were strangers in Egypt. Don't abuse the stranger. Kol You can't oppress widows and orphans. But if you do, And they scream to me, I will hear them. I will hear them. I'll get angry. I'll kill them. And your wives will be widows, and your children will be orphans. That's that's a lot, that's very harsh, okay, admittedly. But there's a voice here that's saying, I'm attentive. I'm attentive to people's pain. I'm attentive to people's suffering. I'm attentive to people's feeling of uh, abuse. And, and to uh, it's a, to reinforce that, yeah, he's a, a great, um, you know, great, great observation. And um, note how in 22 you have the three, it's the infinitive absolute verbs, right? Im aneta aneoto, it's the, the, the verb is doubled. If you, it would be something like, if you oppress them at all, ki im tsaoki tsakelai, if they, if they shout to me at all. Shamoa eshma, I will really hear. Like oh, the double, the doubled verbs you have in that in that one sentence, uh, three pairs of doubled verbs for intensification. Uh, really, you really get this attentive, caring God who is demanding. And you know, people, the the long history of Christian anti-Judaism. You know, this is a religion of law, whereas we Christians are. Our religion of love and the old quote unquote Old Testament God is always so angry and Jesus is always full of love. You know, if you if you want a God who also cares about justice, you're going to have to have rules and standards. And this is a great example of how how God is demanding of us uh, uh, exemplary uh, ethical and social behavior. So what I would add here is it's important to recognize the word that's used to describe the Israelites. They're supposed to remember that they were gerim in Egypt, that they were sojourners, not permanent dwellers in Egypt. One might have thought it should say you should remember that you were slaves. But slavery, despite the introductory laws of the Parsha, are not really part of the core experience of the Israelites when they're in their own land. What is important for them to recognize is that their continued presence in the land, their ability to be toshavim, settlers, as opposed to gerim, is going to depend on their ability to fulfill and follow these laws. Because if they're not, then they will be no better than they were in Egypt. 
they will in fact become sojourners in their land, which is an impossibility. So I, I'm reacting also to Shamoa Eshmatzakato, which is part, it's at the core of the religious experience. At the core of the religious experience is I want to be heard. I want to, I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how many times, you know, I've had the conversation with, with a congregant who's in a terrible you know, state of, of pain and loss and, and, you know, and they're, they're emotional and they feel like abandoned. They feel that they're not heard. And, and I think that that, that experience of not being heard, um, uh, really goes to the core of 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 what it means to be a human we we want to be heard and god is here saying you know i'm going to hear you if you're in pain i'm going to hear you if if the most vulnerable in your community scream to me i will listen to them and that's a promise and that promise you know we, we want to hold god to that promise which is which is part of where the the great tension in in religious life is. I don't know if you're... you know uh, another verse that fits fits it in from Psalms Psalm thirty four, vadunai shamea. This poor person cries out, and God hears. It it is a uh, you know distinctly important part of of this religion that the most humble are the ones who get the most attention or at least get a ton of attention um in uh i guess uh what parsha for what oh th there's uh the the story of solomon and the and the two women fighting over the baby is a haftarah that that almost never gets read it's the haftarah for me but but it almost never gets read because hanukkah will typically interrupt it and this year we read it and um and I uh, we did it in my partial class, and one of the things that was really uh, special about that passage is that nobody remembers. I also didn't remember this that the two women are described as zonot. They are they are prostitutes or at a minimum sex um, workers. Se they could be sex workers, or at a minimum, they could simply be you know out of wedlock or whatever. Okay, um, and. Solomon's greatness is portrayed that they have access to him. His wisdom is portrayed that the lowliest, probably most despised people have access to the king. And I think that story um, exemplifies this point that we're making now, that that the God of Israel is, is attentive to the suffering of the most humble. Okay, so let's go fast forward to the end of the Parsha. Where where they do have a ceremony and it's a covenantal ceremony. Uh by Yavo Moshe, chapter twenty-four, verse three, by Saper Laam, he tells all of the things that God has said to the people, that Kolamishpatim and all the statutes, Vayan Kolam Kolachad, they all answer in one voice, we're going to do this. So there's a, this is a ratification ceremony. I, I mean, you know, there, there's, uh, I think we all appreciate drama in in uh, life and a certain a beautiful staging, a story and a ceremony. Uh, we've certainly constructed uh, ceremonies of all sorts in our professional lives. And uh, this is really at, at the core, a ceremony. 
and they're doing it. They're doing it. They're doing a great don't, job. But don't skip the don't skip the best part. Okay, go on. you read. Go ahead. Okay, read. I will. So back to to verse in the midst of verse four. Early in the morning, he sets up the altar at the foot of the mountain with the twelve pillars for the twelve tribes of Israel, and he designates some young men among the Israelites. And they offered the burnt offerings, and they sacrificed bulls, as well as offerings of well-being to the Lord. And Moses took one part of the blood and put it in the basin, and the other part of the blood he dashed against the altar. And then he took the record of the covenant and raised it aloud to the people. And the, the people say, Na'asebenishma, all that the Lord has spoken, we will faithfully do. Uh, and then Moses takes the blood and splashes it on the people. And says, this is the blood of the covenant that, that Hashem now makes with you concerning all these commandments. So it's the blood of the covenant. It's Dambrit. So it's its its own symbolic circumcision, so to speak. And he splashes the blood over all the people. Now that's dramatic. That's dramatic. And I think that that's, you know, we tend to read the the Nasev Inishma as the climax of the whole story. But that's, no, it's the blood. It's, it's the blood. The blood is, you know. And and I guess because we're so squeamish, we don't want to focus on that. But I mean, everything is folk. Everything kind of rises up to that moment, you it, know. It, it is. It's really true that um, obviously it seems kind of gross to us. We have we we don't have a religion any longer in which killing of animals and spilling the blood on the altar is the central religious act, or is a very central religious act as as biblical religion is, but. Um, there is just no mistaking you you know this is not a metaphor guys this is this is flesh and blood and i mean this both about um i mean this both about uh um uh, the as we were saying the the kind of human scale quality to laws of wealth and poverty and violence and injury um but also the way it is enacted is with the bl shared blood and it's it, you have got to imagine that if if the people were all touched by blood together, that they felt blood brothers. Right. We felt icky by it, okay? This would gross us out. They but, didn't know any better. And they didn't know any better, or maybe they did, or maybe they or maybe they were simply terrified. And that 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 emotional response is, you know, the the mystical response. You're coming, you're coming into contact with the 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 substance that defines the, the the boundary between life and death and you know as you mentioned it I, I was thinking in so many different rituals and of course in a few weeks we'll get to Vayikra and you know what is Vayikra without you know pouring blood on an altar sprinkling God you know and consecrating with blood etc etc and blood having this index role that is to say I, I'm designating something I'm making it I'm marking something because you know, my my ritual act is to designate us as the covenantal consecrated partner, and and I don't have a I don't have another an, another medium for that. I mean, I I don't have a magic wand, and I don't have you know Tinker you know Tinkerbell's magic dust, fairy dust, or whatever. Um, I have a substance that is literally life and death i have to i have to take life in order to get that substance which is terrifying and that's the point i guess you know okay talk yeah. about seven ishma and 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 how this these two words really become 
um, defining of a, of a certain kind of commitment um, and, and perhaps defining of the enterprise of study or action or the balance of study and action and, and how they play out in, in our lives. So I'd like to draw your attention to the verses that you read, Elliot. So the late Bible scholar Jacob Milgram liked to look for chiastic structures, X's, that would bind passages together. So in the verse that you read earlier, by So this means that Moses tells them the revelation, those are the Devarim, and the Mishpatim is our Parsha Mishpatim. And then when we get to the end of this passage, so the people respond, we will do the Mishpatim because Nishma, we have heard the word. Yeah. And I think that what it does is it binds the revelation and the laws very nicely together, both for Moshe and for B'nai Yisrael. And that maybe is what explains part of the significance of the blood, which Moses is spilling on the people which also connects them. Fascinating. So, so we're left here with, with, a, with a, um, a large palette of different kinds of emotional responses. I think the emotional response of the law, which is, this is what, this is what God wants of us, or this is what this religion is demanding from us, to live in the, in the day-to-day details of complicated lives, community lives, um, lives of relationships, where, where people are going to get hurt and people are going to mess up um, to live, you know, with power, to live with the possibility of abusing that power, to live with all sorts of different dimensions and to live with an attentive God who uh, will, will, will respond in some way and to live with mystery also, this mystery of being bound to God in ways that, that here we are thousands of years later after these events took place, we're still talking about it. It's still it's still part of our life, still part of the mystery of our lives, and still something that we 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 love deeply, um, and that uh, we want to uh, uncover deeply. I guess yeah, you know um, there there are you know religions that are, that are and and we have it too. We certainly have mystical traditions. But there are religions you, you say the mystery of our lives, um, and there are religions that that like their wheelhouse is really the other realm. And and Judaism's wheelhouse is this realm. Right. Uh, it's not that we don't have those other things and the traditions of Kabbalah and and if, you know things that we think about the soul and and philosophical ideas that we have those things too. But our wheelhouse is is the law. There's the, the last Mishnah in tractate uh, uh, Baba Batra, I think. I think it's the end of the the, the three tractates on Torah. It's how Rotseshi Yachkim Yasov Bedinei Mamonot. Somebody who wants to be wise should study business law because if the rubber hits the road, you know, my ox is going to gore your cow. You know, I'm going to, going to, you know, I'm going to do a poor job of building the corral and your sheep's going to get out. uh, And I'm going to owe you some, I'm going to owe your sheep. And, and this is like, this is, this is, uh, this religion has mysterious elements too, and some very unmysterious ones. There's a kind of basic secularity to some of of this religion. I mean, it's it's got it's got other stuff too. It's not just this, but there's a kind of and so for people who 
you know, as, as I'm sure we know, lots of people who are, you know, more into into practical stuff than than God talk. I mean, I'm into God talk, but um, if you're not into God talk, you can still care an awful lot about Parshat Mishpatim. I agree. I agree with you. <laughs> so what I would add to what you said, Jeremy, is um, this idea that what is, makes us human is not our capacity to damage, which we share with animals, but our capacity to repair the world. Nice. And that's what Mishpatim is about, uh, the way that you described it. Tort law is about repairing damage. And that's what makes us human. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. Steal that, okay. I like that. I like that. That's a good way to end end this uh, our parsha, our parsha talk. You know, in a in a world that is quite shattered, and quite quite uh, as we say, in need of all the healing and repair that is possible. Certainly uh, in the world, and and of course specifically in Kal Yisrael, Am Yisrael, Medinat Yisrael. Again, thinking about um, all the challenges and our hostages, and our soldiers, and everyone who is experiencing. These difficult days. We hope that these uh, minutes together have been a source of wisdom and comfort and joy, even. And uh, we thank you for watching and thank you for listening. It really means a lot to us. We appreciate your, your time with us and we look forward to seeing you again on another edition of Parsha Talk. We'll see you and have a beautiful Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.